Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Andrew, I met someone last night. Oh, fun. Is he cute? My type to the T. Plus, he's got an Irish accent. Well, I mean, did you get his number? Well, I was going to, and I'm not sure if this is an accent issue or just like some kind of weird cultural mis- you know, communication, but he was, he was saying some, some, some pretty weird stuff. Like what? Well, well, he asked me if I would play his rusty trombone. Oh, no. I know. I'm not even in a band. Uh, oh, no. I, I don't think. Well, well it, it's, it gets weirder. He, he says to me then uh, he can even let me donkey punch him. I mean, what is he talking about playing Donkey Kong at the bar? Oh, Maddie, well, we have some things to talk through. It's episode 76. Sex is terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message. To save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay as high we honor thee from life to death and rise! Doubters, the doomsters... The Gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Let's go! I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes, that is better. What if I want to have sex before I get married? Well, I guess you just have to be prepared to die. And you'll probably take with you your spouse and one or more of your children. Really, up until this point, it's people have thought it was their right to have sex whenever they wanted to. Welcome to Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Maddie. And my name is Andrew. And if this is your first time with us on Friday the 13th Horror Podcast, we are, if, if, number one, we're a podcast. Hello, you're listening to us. You're listening. <laughs> yeah, but number two, we're a podcast all about horror. Horror in real life and in the movies from an LGBTQ perspective. And this uh, this episode, episode 76. Episode a very special 76. episode, as they would call oh, it in the goodness. 90s. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, this is all about sex today. Sex is terrifying. And you know what? Look, when it comes to sex, it's uh, it's something that everyone is thinking about. It's something that everybody is either doing literally right now as I'm talking or they want to do right now <laughs> as I'm talking because um, everyone does it one way or another. And we are exploring some of the aspects of being in flagrante delicto, as they might say in court, that aren't just spicy. They're terrifying. So it's going to be and a fun one. And I think we should preface that this is, we are not going to be going into sex work. Um, I think that that's a whole nother topic that we can. That's something different. Yeah. Yeah. That we can kind of get into on another episode. This is literally all uh, just about that uh, sexual acts. Yeah. (laughs) uh, We got some fun movies lined up for later. And Maddie, why don't, before we get into the uh, sexy talk, maybe we go and talk a little bit about how the world is terrifying this week. Sure thing. So in the certified terrifying corner for May 2022, it is May finally. We happy. Actually, we're recording on May Day. Might I say, workers of the world unite. 
and destroy. You almost had a limerick there for a second. Oh, oh, oh I should have kept going with it. Um, destroy your your capitalist overlords and take over the world. Um, anyways, here are a few things. Um, speaking of capitalist overlords, uh, Elon Musk has successfully bought the social media network Twitter for forty four billion dollars. That is correct. Uh, one person spent $44 billion buying a fucking thing. Um, an exodus is already occurring of users. Um, I'm sure, you know, those of you who are on Twitter who sort of like just have an eye on your follower count, um, I'm sure you've already noticed at least a little bit of a trickle. I know I have. I know the podcast has. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that continues to shake out as this racist, uh, uh, transphobic fucking weirdo continues his weird quest to own the biggest things in the world um do you remember when um elon musk said if the government can prove how this would end world hunger or it was poverty in america something like that he would donate the money and then they did and then he didn't (laughs) yeah and and as, as i recall i think like the like you know there's different studies of like how you could end homelessness in america like you could build people uh tiny homes you could do this yeah, yeah. whatever and i think that the cost is something like it's 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 like 27 billion dollars would need to be spent to do it so you know just think about that a little well, bit well if you, if maddie if you were still watching riverdale you would see that they were going through this exact same thing right now as well oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> trying to clean up skid row <laughs> you, you know what's what's ridiculous about it i mean there's many things ridiculous about it um but i i do think that that twitter's going to you know look, twitter's always a bit of a hell site garbage fire from hell um, and you know, look, we all know that. So that's not, that's not some kind of surprise. I'm like but, what social media platform isn't these days, right. <laughs> but like bringing, but the, the very big likelihood that this will bring back people like Donald Trump, people like white supremacists, people who harass people on a regular basis. Um, the, 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 that is a very big possible reality. And, you know, Twitter, for all of its faults, at least was doing something to try to curb it. So yeah. I don't know. This, this, it's a pretty scary time for, for all of us Twitter tweeters. How uh, is Donald Trump's media company coming along? Because I oh, feel like that. Truth. You mean you mean Truth, the social yeah. media network? Truth. Um, there were there were reports uh, last week because I, I work in social, so I, I follow a lot of social news. There was there were reports last week about how like it wasn't even working, like how a bunch of features just like literally don't work. Um, there's also something interesting in the in the user. Um, oh, what are those things called? Uh, like the user agreements. You you can't make fun of Donald Trump on Truth. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So 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 much for free speech, huh? Right. Um, speaking of other things in 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 the world, um, this one specifically in America, over uh, 1.75 trillion in student loan debt has ballooned um, and it just keeps on ballooning. The crisis is on the way, um, though Biden has signaled that he may cancel all of it. Now, actually, when I wrote that note, <laughs> it was a little bit more optimistic. Um, he's signaling now that he may cancel up to $10,000, which is kind of like, you know, saying, hey, here's a Snickers bar. Enjoy it. Um, it's it's awful. And, you know, the thing about this that I've been thinking about this week is he just asked Congress for $33 billion for for Ukraine, for the war in Ukraine, for a war that we're not even a part of. Um, and we're going to spend $33 billion on another country. And we can't get rid of student debt that has been shown time and time again 
to be one of the biggest limiters for people of color getting on their feet after school, for literally anyone getting on their feet after school that isn't absolutely rich. Um, it's it's really depressing, and it's just you know it's a problem that's clearly never going to get solved in America. It's really stupid. Yes, but please join TikTok, become an influencer. That will get you out of debt. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's like it, you just like you can't win. And it's know, just it's so it's so stupid. And I, I, you know, the people who are like, oh, there should be means testing for this. Fuck you, dude. Get rid of fucking debt and and stop pretending like it's some kind of virtue to like have debt and like pay it off. Like, fuck you. Like, you, you know what, nerd? Good luck with the rest of your fucking weird short life. Um, <laughs> a very uh, sad one also is Alabama has passed Senate Bill 142 which prohibits medical professionals from providing any care to transgender people under 18 years old. This is really harmful, of course, for a number of reasons, but it may mean medical detransitioning for transgender um, uh, uh, teens and, and, and young folks, which is just, uh, it's just really sad. It's, it's really, really sad. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say we haven't told people that this was going to happen when yeah. uh, when Texas was going through its whole thing. And, you know, then with some of the things going through Florida, it's really putting the uh, spotlight on transgender people right now in a negative way, not in a positive way. And it's yeah. really giving license to these states to pass all these random bills that really are being explained not correctly so that people can get behind it and feel good about themselves while putting other people down. It's really sad. It's awful. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. Um, I don't know if, if, if you're a, a trans listener out there, just, you know, know our, our hearts are, our hearts are with you. Yeah. Hope, I, I go through like better. this, I go through this whole thing of like, do we abandon the South or do we flood the South? I don't know <laughs> what to do. Can't we do both? <clears throat> you know oh, what I mean, oh, though. Like, oh, you mean flood with people? I thought you yeah. meant actual flood with, uh, with like the water. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, can we flood it with water instead? <laughs> Maybe that's the right decision. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're we're both Northerners. Uh, um. It's that's it's funny. It's funny explaining that I'm a Northerner when I'm in, in Ireland. By the way, too, it's always funny when I when I say that. Um. But we're both Northerners. I I have zero love for the South. I I could give a fuck less about any sort of idea of the South or whatever. That's just not in my blood. It just and sucks this is, that they get all the good weather. <laughs> they, well, not always. I mean, look, have you been to fucking like Tennessee in the in the like the pit of the summer? It's so. It's like horrendously hot. You know, look, I love I love people in the South. You know, I, I do actually love visiting states that are in the southern part of the United States. But in general, you're, all of your politics fucking blow chunks. Um, that is it for the Certified Terrifying Corner. Let's move on with the rest of the show. So, yeah, today we are talking all about sex, that super sexy episode, that very special sexy episode you've been waiting for that That's we right. probably should have done at episode 69, but we forgot. Oh, so. that would have been really good. God damn it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I have a couple of things. I think you have a couple of things. I think we should start with something that affected everybody at some point uh, in, in the world, uh, at least in the U.S., and that is sodomy laws. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so sodomy laws, um, sorry, straights, this uh, this goes against you too, is basically targeted laws that prohibit uh, mostly anal and oral sex and then sex between same-sex couples. Um, it is kind of aimed at uh, people that aren't married, but in some states there were even acts that married couples that were not allowed to uh, do, including anal and oral. So sorry, fellas, no more blowjobs for you. That's just uh, it. <laughs> prior to 1962, um, these laws were, uh, they were penalty of a felony. So not even a misdemeanor. They went right to a felony. Um, and really, this went on for a very long time. <clears throat> it wasn't until 2003 that the Supreme Court actually reversed the decision uh, with Lawrence versus Texas, which is basically invalidating sodomy laws in in the remaining states that hadn't turned them over at that point. I will say, um, Maddie, did you know the first state to get rid of sodomy laws? Illinois. It was. I, d- I did know that. Yeah. It's something, something I, that I Illinois thought- is, really, is really proud of, actually. Yeah, the decriminalizing um, basically of these things didn't, like I said, didn't happen until 2003. However, there are still states that have not corrected these sodomy laws within uh, same-sex relations only. Uh, So those states are Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Texas. So uh, my home state still punishable upon law to have same-sex uh, intercourse. So interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird because, it, I mean, no one could ever sue based on that because of, of Lawrence v. Texas. But it's weird. Um, the southern states I would understand, but I'm, I am, and even like Michigan, I could maybe, maybe see that. But I'm, I'm very surprised at Massachusetts that yeah. they haven't, that they haven't taken steps to I mean, and it's it would just be a formality at this point. Like once again, Lawrence v. Texas invalidates all of that anyway. But yeah, I like, think what it Mass- is is that Massachusetts didn't do it. That's funny. I think what it is is it's probably tied to or worked in with another law that it's harder to get rid of. You know what I mean? Like someone was bold. Yeah. Like the way it's written is probably. Sure it's harder to get it repealed rather than just like, Hey, like, listen, we know this is fucked up. It's like, you can't ride a, you can't ride your coach house. uh, I don't know. Like those weird laws that just never go away. Like I think in Michigan, a couple of years ago, um, there was a woman who uh, swore at a man and he tried to sue her over like, you you know, women aren't allowed to swear. Oh my God. Literally like launch him into the fucking sun. Um, yeah, look, sodomy laws were, I mean, uh, kids today, like, I don't think they really understand. Like it was awful. Like Mm -hmm. what, what, what happened to people because of these fucking laws, it was terrible and stuff was happening well into, you know, the late 20th century in, in the nineties. So like it, 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 and it was, I remember when it, when it finally got repealed because we actually had a party in college. We had a Lawrence, (laughs) we had a, yeah, we had like a Lawrence B. Texas party. We also had a party when, um, uh, when Strom Thurmond died, he was a big he was a big defender of of sodomy laws. Um, when Strom Thurmond died, we had a Strom Thurmond is dead party on the forget <laughs> it. Um, but it was it was awful, and it's it's a very dark chapter of 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 American history. I mean, and it 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 took America so long to get rid of it. Two thousand three. Think That's when about I graduated that. high school, <laughs> and that is so fucked up. And of course. If you look at if you look at the 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 judgments that that came down, the opinions that were shared from SCOTUS, 
you know, who was who was behind it? Of course, it was Antonin Scalia and, you know, Clarence Thomas and all the people that you fucking like love to hate, which is why, like, once again, I remember when Antonin Scalia died and people were like, oh, what a great jurist. And even like RBG was like, oh, yeah, he was my friend. How about fuck you? He was your fucking friend. He was a fucking defender of sodomy laws. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Like, oh, I hate that shit. I think that if uh, two people are of consenting to each other, let them do what they want with each other's bodies. It's silly yeah. to de- it's silly to criminalize <laughs> anything like that. That exactly. Is, uh, it, it just goes against like it goes so much against like the heteronormative way of thinking about sex, where sex is only for baby making. Sex is only for reaper. Like, God forbid we have any fun in this life and even try to like do anything else but fucking missionary with uh with a woman or a yeah, man. It's, it's it's very very weird. But yeah, so I think maybe after that, we should maybe talk about sex education and kind of like where, you know, what what we what we grew up with and then yeah. maybe transition into um, how that affects gay people. And then we can kind of talk about some STDs. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Go ahead. Um, so the, in sex education in America, there's really um, like three ways that people kind of explain sex education to kids. I don't know about you. I grew up with kind of the, um, when you're very young, we had health class that talked about like puberty and like they casually passed out deodorant and they're like, Hey, maybe you want to use this little stinky child, um, that happened around sixth grade. And then in high school, we had, uh, another health uh, class that talked more about STDs, about condoms, about that kind of stuff. I don't know if you had a similar experience. Yeah, essentially. Yes. Um, and, and I, I distinctly remember actually the, um, the, the sex education that I had in high school, which I think it was when I was a freshman, I'm pretty sure. Um, I remember watching, uh, there were some videos that we watched in, in health class and it was, and it was all, you know, I don't think that there were any girls in the class. I think it was just boys. Um, we watched, we were, we were divided in sixth grade to learn about that stuff, yeah. but we were all together when we learned about like, yeah. quote unquote, like sex ed. Yeah. We, we watched a, a couple of like weird old, like movie things like that were for sexual sex, sex education. We got a pamphlet too. I remember about it. Um, and I remember like the pamphlet really disturbed me. Like, I remember like being like, like actually like very disturbed. Like I, I could barely even look at it. It was, it was weird. I don't know why. Well, that's like um, the weird goal of like those classes in that day is to make you scared of yeah. sex so you don't do it. <laughs> well, and, 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 and it did because you know what, what we didn't, and look, we'll talk about this more later, but we, we didn't talk about the stuff that, that we actually really should have talked about. The, the, primarily sex, sex education was around baby making. And yep. so it was, it was, Hey, this is what happens. This is how it works. And then a baby is made. Here's how you don't make a baby, use a condom or whatever. But we, I, I don't recall ever talking about STDs or about anything like that beyond like the mention of like AIDS and like being scared about that. Hmm. So, I mean, in general, my sex education, like it sucked. It really sucked. And then, you know, my, my parents were old i mean my my mom is 86 now for god's sake or almost 86 so at that time she was in her 60s or 50s or whatever late 50s so i mean she didn't know how to talk about sex to her teenager in the you know in the in the late 20th century you know what i mean right yeah so like it was it wasn't good there either and then you know i'm not going to ask any of my brothers or sisters so i got it from my friends kind of and they didn't know what they were talking about so 
long story short, yeah, it wasn't very good. So in, in America, there are kind of three different ways um, that they explain <clears throat> sex education. There's the abstinence only, which I think that we all can understand, like don't have sex until you're married. That's essentially <laughs> what they're called. Um, there's abstinence plus, which kind of educates, um, I- including information about contraception and condoms, but still promotes abstinence until marriage. And then there's what they call comprehensive sex education, which teaches youth that sexuality is normal and a healthy part of a human life. Um, the, the curriculum does, does discuss abstinence and the most effective ways to avoid unintended pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases, but it also equips students to make their own decisions from an informed perspective. Gosh, doesn't that sound like it should be just the normal curriculum? (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, But, you know, there's still a ton of states that only do the abstinence only, um, surprisingly enough. A lot of them are in the South. Um, But uh, research sponsored by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services found that abstinence only curricula did not result in positive outcomes for sexual health of U.S. adolescents. So since 1996, over $1 billion in state and federal funding has been allocated to abstinence-only education, despite evidence showing that this approach is ineffective. So even they know that this is not uh, working, they still, that's what they're teaching. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 really really awful. You know, once again, I would say, we, and I've said the solution before. If why do you keep your kids in that? If you know that that's what that's what's going on at the school, man, you got to think differently about where they're going to school move yeah. get, get like get out of there don't stay there it's awful so on the other hand comprehensive sex education um, helps young people delay sexual intercourse and uh, intercourse uh, uh, increase condom use and contraceptive use and reduces the number of partners when teens do choose to become sexually active this curriculum decreases the likelihood and frequency of unprotected sex furthermore uh, students who learn from a version of comprehensive sex that includes gay lesbian and transgender issues report a safer US high school and 14% of middle schools teach all 19 of sexual health topics considered essential by the Centers for Disease Control. Ooh, haven't we been listening to them a lot these days? Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, those topics include how to create and sustain healthy and respectful relationships, information on how sexually transmitted infections are spread, and tips about ways partners can communicate to prevent pregnancies and or infections. Mm. Um, I don't know about you, but if I would have learned more about even knowing what gay or lesbian was as a teenager, I probably wouldn't been, I probably wouldn't have been as terrified to explore or even come out at that time. (sighs) Oh, Andrew. Yes. Yeah. And and honestly, it, 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 it it makes me, it makes me actually really sad when I think about it. Um, well in, in what you've been watching, bitch, I'm, I'm going to talk about a show that I just watched called Heartstopper. Um, so maybe I'll save more of my commentary for that. So, yeah, speaking of, um, you know, gay, lesbian, transgender folks, um, where do we learn about sex? Uh, Well, unfortunately, I know, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, a lot of us and I think in my report here, um, 41 or no, I'm sorry, 82 percent of men who have sex with men reported that they got no education about gay sex in school. Um, and then most of the responders say that they return to porn, uh, which 41% learning about anal sex through pornography and 34% learning about oral sex through pornography. I can tell you 
Um, that's where I learned about gay sex. I will admit yeah, it right sure. there. And, and I will tell you that it really did affect my expectations about what sex was, what it was supposed to be, how it was supposed to be done. Um, and really like set me down a very confusing path when it came to actually being intimate with someone. Sure. Uh, because I think that, you know, watching porn, that's an extreme version of, of sex with uh, professionals that have done this, you know, uh, for uh, quite a while that have uh, staff on hand to get them ready for sex and uh, different ways that they can be safe about having sex. And then the, just the, the act itself where they're going for like, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes in a, in a sex scene and haven't come once. And it's just, it, it, it brings up such shame that, you know, when you maybe have your first couple sexual encounters and you, you maybe come too early or you get too excited, it brings such shame to to yourself because you yeah. thought, well, I, I'm not living up to like the porn expectations. I distinctly remember someone telling me they're like, you know, you don't have to like you don't have to be so like into it. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you 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 have sex like you're in a porn. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. But I, I was, I only learned from, from that, you know? Hmm. You know, I, I think that, um, oh boy, I, I, I think that, that, that the porn is good, right? You know, porn, porn is a good thing. We, we it's like fantasy. it. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to experience. You know, I, I, I pay for my pornography because I believe that sex workers should be paid. Right. And so the actors that are in the stuff that I watch and that, and that I like, I'll always make sure that they're that I'm giving them some money for 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 some intense work that they're doing. Quite frankly, um, but yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right. You know, when when porn is the only education that you have, it it will. Um, it, it, how can I say this correctly? It, it may be the the wrong thing at the at the wrong developmental moment to to give you ideas of what life w- will and and might be. Because it's not just about like how sex works; it's also about your body. I mean, right. do you uh, how many how many um, how many uh, porn actors do you watch that whose bodies you don't like? Like, are you are you going to keep watching <laughs> it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, let's yeah. not be fucking dumb here. So we we can talk about this and that, and whatever, and Hammond Hall all day. Guess what? I'm watching hot dudes have sex. That's what I'm watching. So like, I I, I think that that's that's part of it too. How many people do you actually know in your life that have porn star bodies? Very, right. very few. So it's it's not just you know one thing or, or or two things. It's a lot when it comes to the developmental state of of teenagers and who grow into young adults who grow into adults. It causes body dysmorphia. It causes a lot of issues and, and you know mental health issues, um, all because adults around them just couldn't be mature enough to talk about sex in a real authentic way. Yeah. And I think like uh, for anyone that is maybe newly out or newly exploring, um, you know, kind of sex, like don't be afraid to like ask your friends and like, on, and like in honest, like honest talk, not like, Ooh, sex in the city. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, honestly, like I'll tell you this, you- I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step further. Don't be afraid to talk to your sexual partners, honestly, you, yeah, you know, like, and, and, and say, Hey, Number one, if something happens that you don't like, be be empowered to say, you know what, I don't like that. I, I don't want to do that. Or if you want to do something, say, hey, what if we tried this? And I think it's just about being open and honest. And then you find in there, you know, the things that you need. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 one of the most important things for a long term relationship is communication in in general is one thing, but also telling people what you want, what your expectations are, and what you need to be fulfilled, not only sexually but in any way in your relationship. Yeah, but in sex, of course, because if you're not liking what you're doing, that that causes resentment. And then that causes further uh, decline of communication in other areas of your relationship, and yeah. eventually will end it. So, well, and, and it's, but it's we got to be clear: it's not just relationships. This is anybody, you know, any sexual partner that you have, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, doesn't doesn't matter. You need to be clear about what you want and what you're okay with. And anything else other than that that somebody might be making you do while you don't like it, you need to think about that, Jack, because that's a fact. <laughs> Oh, where's who's Jack? No, I'm struggling. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that was really important for me to understand is because yeah. um, I think in a time where we grew up, I mean, porn was very different when when we kind of at the, you know, oh the early days of the internet, where it was essentially just like, uh, what do you call it? Like a flip book where it was essentially just like, oh, a yeah, picture, and then a picture and then a picture and then a picture. Oh, we didn't have like high grade video. That was no. That I we had, had to like I find had in literally, our... <laughs> I had one photo, one photo that I was able to download on my shitty dial-up internet on a Mac Plus way back in the day um, of a guy giving another guy a blowjob. And it took like <laughs> it took like three minutes to load the entire photo. That's how slow the computer was. I remember but, they had we had one magazine in the grocery store that I worked at. Um, I forget what exactly the magazine was called, but it was essentially kind of like a a gay magazine, um, maybe like DNA or something like that. That sure. sounds right. But um, they had a feature on Troy Dumay, who was a uh, diver in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I think he still dives, but just he, that was when his like height of career was. Yeah, and sure. On the cover was a picture of him getting out of the pool. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. But then, you know, for us, I think a lot of our a lot of our imagination had to come from regular TV. So, like, I think of Baywatch a lot. Um, Baywatch was like it, it had a little something for the guys, and it had a little something for the girls. And I think that all gays probably had a crush on somebody on Baywatch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you know, th- thinking a, a little bit further about our, our education and about you know, porn being the, one of the main sources for it. Um, you know, the, the other part that, that it really leads to is a lack of education about STDs and, yeah. and mm-hmm. STIs. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very serious because, look, these things can really affect you. Um, and, you know, we, I think that uh, the generation now is, is quite lucky to have, um, you know, some incredible medication out there that can really protect you in big ways, thinking about PrEP, um, and, and even, uh, the other one that isn't prep, the one that, uh, you take if you were exposed, but you're not on prep, I forget what that's called. Um, anyways, uh, there, there, there's, there's a lot going on in the, in the STI world. Um, and one of the reasons why primarily now is because, you know, now we finally have MRNA vaccines, which all of you got when you got a COVID vaccine. It's the first one that you've ever had. Um, and with that in mind, like the, the researchers are thinking, and I think Moderna is really leading the way on it. They're, they're thinking very deeply and, and working on drugs that might actually be a vaccine for HIV, which would be just it's incredible. I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, um, which will be good, too, because I had to stop taking PrEP, actually. Um, 
And when during the the pandemic, um, I wasn't seeing anybody outside of my my quarantine, which Andrew was on, um, and I wasn't having sex with anyone on my quarantine. You know what I mean? Um, so I stopped taking prep. There was no reason to keep taking this really heavy drug because I wasn't having any sex. When I went back on it uh, after the you know the the big part of the pandemic was kind of you know quote unquote over, I got so sick from it. And I don't know what changed in me. I have no idea, but I just, I, I realized, you know what? You can't take it, which means you just have to have safe sex now. And you know what? Yeah. I know how to do it and I can do that. And that's well, fine. Thankfully, we we already learned about that when, yeah. when we were like younger. We didn't have like all of these um, extra precautionary measures, oh let alone a lot of the pharmaceuticals yeah. that can clear up a lot of these oh <laughs> STIs God, yes. when we were coming Wait. out. You know what people are doing out there right now is, I mean, look, it is the, exp- if you're, if you're out in the fucking world, you will probably agree with me when I say that it is the expectation that you will bear back. That is that is the expectation. It's not that you're going to have safe sex. It's really? That you owe without a doubt, without a doubt. Things have changed so much that if people, if you like even like mention a condom, people are like, are you serious? Aren't you on prep? And I'm like, no, number one, I'm not. And number two, even if I was, I would probably still use a condom because guess what? You can get other things besides HIV. And here's one of the things that you can get. It's called gonorrhea. You might know it as the (laughs) clap. Um, Gonorrhea is the second most prevalent STI. It occurs, of course, in both men and women. Um, in men, it can spread to men's testicles, and in women, it can spread to their pelvises, which would cause pelvic inflammatory disorder. Um, if untreated, gonorrhea can kill you. It can cause sepsis in your body. Um, symptoms that you might get, um, they're kind of the same thing for, for men and women. Um, they develop within a few weeks of your exposure. Um, if for both, uh, it's pain when urinating. Um, and for women, it's a vaginal discharge. For men, it's a penile discharge. Um, the discharge is green or yellow. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. For women, they have heavier periods um, and they can bleed during sex, um, even if they're not on their period. Um, and of course, they would have pain in the pelvis and men, their testicles and or their foreskin can swell. Pretty awful. Um, you can also get gonorrhea in your fucking eye. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and then it will cause oh, conjunctivitis. No. <laughs> I know. Um, and it can also get into your throat and inflame your throat, though not infect it. Um, this is something I did not know, that 10% of people who get gonorrhea are asymptomatic. Lucky them. Um, the main drug is uh, ceftriaxone, um, and that's been the main drug for a very long time. However, because it's been used so much, guess what's happening? Gonorrhea is becoming resistant. It's learning. <laughs> exactly. So um, it was uh, four years ago that there was uh, the the worst case ever of super gonorrhea. Um, and Wait, you could, how, what is super gonorrhea in comparison to regular? Yeah. Is it just like how it's gotten worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. So um, this is from BBC. Um, this guy was in the UK. Um, he had a regular sexual partner. He was heterosexual, a regular sexual partner in the UK. He went on a trip to Thailand and he had sex with a woman there where he caught this, um, incredibly virulent and really bad case of gonorrhea. They tried to cure him with the usual stuff, which is, uh, uh, what's the antibiotic azithromycin and ceftriaxone, which is like the double whammy. And then it gets rid of it for the most part. Um, not even for the most part, it gets rid of it. But for him, it would not work. So finally, they had to put him on a new drug called, where are you? I have this written down. 
somewhere in here. I'll find it in a moment. But they put him on a, on a new drug, and that one actually did cure him. But it took months to get it done. Oh, um, gosh. And like, look, <clears throat> let me tell you, I, I have had gonorrhea before. And, you know, when it comes to STIs, too, I, I think it's actually really important that we de-shame them mm-hmm. and, like, talk about them because guess what they happen and like if you get it it doesn't mean you're a bad person it doesn't mean anything besides the fact that you had sex with somebody and were exposed to a disease that's all that it means so i i really do sort of hate people who shame shame people about this shit um so i'll talk openly about mine i got gonorrhea i don't know who i got it from um it was a few years ago it was fucking terrible <clears throat> it was really really bad and um, it didn't last for very long, thank God. You know, I had good health care. I was able to go to Howard Brown Health Center in Chicago. Thank you, Howard Brown. And they treated me, and it got taken care of, and it was done within a couple of weeks. Um, the I will tell you this: the discharge. The, the, it it's was real, everybody. <laughs> it was. It was. It was terrifying. <clears throat> like you would look in your underwear, and like when I say the discharge was green, the discharge was green, like fucking Ugh. like exorcist green coming out of your fucking dick all day and sitting in your underwear. It was, it was disgusting. It was truly disgusting. Um, and, and it, and it hurts, you know, like going pee hurt. It was, it was a, it was not a fun time and you also couldn't jerk off, which is never fun in life. Um, so, you know, this guy, th- this really bad case, imagine what I just described to you, but like times a hundred, that's how bad it was. Yikes and so, bikes. yeah, so they did finally get him treated. Oh, here it is with a drug called Ertapenem, I believe you would say it or, or, or Tapenem perhaps. Um, and then, uh, Dr. Gwenda Hughes, who was, uh, the, the head of sexually transmitted infections at public health England said, we are pleased to report that the case of multi-drug resistant gonorrhea has been successfully treated. Um, so, you know, look, doctors are working on this. Scientists are working on this because they, they know that these things are going to continue to become drug resistant because that's what drugs do. I mean, that, that, that's what viruses do. They, they learn over time and the more that they get passed on, the drugs just don't work in the same way. So, you know, look, let, let, let my, my let my voice be the clarion call to you, people that are out there having sex, which you should be having sex. You should be doing it and be proud about it. Um, but for the love of God, um, please, please really um, be safe and don't get gonorrhea. Remember what I told you. You don't <laughs> want you don't want fucking Reagan's exorcist vomit in your underwear when you go to the bathroom. Just think about that, and that will. Stop. Nobody wants that. No oh, more pea did. soup in the underwear. <laughs> exactly. Hey, one more thing, Andrew. I did. I did want to mention is you know we're talking about young people and sex. I did just quickly look up because I remember this this news story. Um, the fact that high schoolers are having sex uh, less than ever before now. Did you know that? Uh, is this a uh, study out of the pandemic or before? It's 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 just before the pandemic, and I I'm getting oh interesting. It's probably even worse now. But the that's Institute, what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. The Institute for Family Studies um uh d- did this this big uh this iteration of of something called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which they do I believe every year. Um, and it found that uh, in 2019, 38.4% of high schoolers reported they had ever had sex, uh, and that it was down from 39 and a half in 2017. 46% in 2009, 54% in 1991. So it's really, you know, there's a pretty clear trend that is steadily declining of young people like actually having sex. And I, I think it's probably because of the internet and a lot of other things, but also probably because they're scared of shit like super fucking gonorrhea. 
Well, and also they have the most information of any generation yeah. to understand like what sex exactly. is, what can happen. Uh, you know, we have, I don't know, I see it both ways. I understand like, it, you know, giving people all this education and everything would bring down kind of like how many, you know, sexual partners people have at an early age. But also we also have the other half of it where we we do sometimes glamorize teenagers having sex with shows like Euphoria or um, Riverdale. Uh, Riverdale. Well, they're, yeah. they're grown ups now and on that, but it was. Um, oh, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and um, what is that? Sixteen and Pregnant. Like sure. all those kind of shows that kind of show they show both sides of it. I, w- I will say that, like kind of the scary side uh, of of teenage pregnancy, but also we they're making them we're making them celebrities. So it, it's, yeah, it, it's 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 glamorizing it in ways that like God, we sound we sound like old men right now, Andrew. Um, but it's true. Like it's glamorizing it in ways that maybe. Maybe you should think about that. Like, come on. That's nothing to glamorize, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Anyhow. <laughs> um, so look, that does it for our horror in real life segment. We're going to take a little break here, and we'll be right back with What You Been Watching, Bitch. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome back to episode 76 of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. And tonight we are talking about what we've been watching, you sexy bitches. What you been watching, you sexy bitches. <laughs> so at this portion of the show, we literally just talk about what we've been watching and if we recommend or don't recommend you, the listener, checking them out. So Maddie, tell me what you've been watching, bitch. Sure. I'm going to save my favorite one for the end because I, I I love it so incredibly much. But I'll start with um, I'll start with Outer Range on Amazon Prime. Um, Outer Range is uh, I don't know how I even found it, but it it was there and I push play. It's a new it's a new ish series. Josh Brolin is the main character. I do like Josh Brolin quite a bit, so I I never mind watching him, and I also think he's really sexy. Um, and also um. Uh, not David, um, Patrick from Schitt's Creek is in it, which is, Oh, awesome. Weird. And it is a very different role for him. Um, it's, it's kind of weird. If, if I'm being honest, it's weird to see him do anything else other than Patrick. And sure. I, I think that he's going to have that problem in his career, to be honest. But, um, anyways, this is a show about a rancher in Wyoming, Josh Brolin. Um, and, uh, he discovers this hole on his land the hole (laughs) the hole is big the hole is a portal you don't know where it goes but it's just this fucking like crazy portal that has clouds swirling around in it he's never seen it before until now and it does weird things that's like how big of a hole are we talking you know it's it's not that big it's about like can you fit a truck in it if you put two Okay, if you put a, um, a maybe like just one semi truck, okay, if if that if that kind of gives you the idea, across. right? One semi truck across. That's how big the hole is, and it's round. It's a perfectly round circle. I was going to um, ask you to explain it and how many hot dogs across, but oh my god, that <laughs> I love a hot dog. I can't wait to get a hot dog when I come back in July to Chicago. Um, anyways, um, yeah, it's it, it's a show. I'm not going to give you a lot else about it to be honest with you, because actually the show is pretty good, despite my really bad synopsis. Um, I'm in, I'm enjoying it. Josh Brolin's really good. The rest of the characters are are pretty good. It's telling a, a very interesting story. You know what? You know what it is. It's very unique. It's and, and I really appreciate something new 
because it is very, very new. I've just never heard this particular story before. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's called Outer Range and it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I saw this advertised. I just never clicked on it quite yet, but maybe I'll give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first one is a, whoa, for me, a weird, a documentary. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, I also I also watched this and I loved it. Okay. But uh, so this docu- quote unquote documentary, I'll put quotes around it because I don't know why anybody needed to tell this story, but um, uh, it's white hot, the rise and fall of Amber Crombie and Fitch. Um, the reason I put this on is because this is my generation. And I think that that yep. stems to you too, oh, uh, yeah. Maddie, um, where Abercrombie and Fitch was a sensation in, in high school um uh, right along with like hollister and american eagle and kind of those fast fashion um areas of clothing that we had in the mall but amber crombie and fitch sold sex um and mostly with hot shirtless guys so of course yeah. who was all about it we were of course um, we were. my god yes um I, for me we could never afford amber crombie and fitch so i never really had an infatuation with it but um i knew a lot of people that did so that was why i was like well we can watch this documentary what i'll say about the documentary i think that they do do a good job of like delving into the history of the company i didn't know that it was like a company from like a hundred years ago or something yeah, um, yeah and how it came into power and the people that were in control and it, they do delve a little bit into their hiring practices and how they had a quote-unquote type that they would um score against uh, to hire people and some of the demographics that they went after and some of the sexual glorification of the males um, because it was led by a gay man and a gay photographer who may or Bruce may not Weber. have taken taken advantage of some yeah. of these models at some point. Um, what, what I liked about the documentary is I liked how they told the story. I think that it was very well uh, like talked about. What I wanted <clears throat> more from the story is I wanted to hear more from these people that were victims because I feel like they they hit on um, some of the sexual abuse from the photographer, but they'd never really go deep into it. And there's never any repercussions for any of these people that did bad things apart from getting sued and having to, you know, you know, give money yeah, um, sure. to, to the people. I, I just felt like there it. I felt like in this age of like golden documentaries, I felt that this one was a little light on the subject matter, if I'm being honest. I'm not sure how you feel about it. Uh, I, so yeah, I, I thought it was really good. Um, it, it definitely brought me back to my high school um, and maybe even like early college days. This is exactly when I was, you know, I, I was of that age. Um, I was exactly the person that they would not be selling to. Why? Because number one, I was overweight. And number two, um, I was poor. And uh, number three, I was gay. <laughs> So <laughs> right. it was like the, the, the chips were absolutely stacked against me. But let me tell you this, boy, did I wish that was me. I, I know, wanted, I know. I, I, I got the catalogs because the catalogs were basically just jack off material because it was just Bruce Weber photography and they were, you know, made incredibly well. Um, I, 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 I like the, those were like my like porn magazines. Like that's, that's what they were for me. Um, I, you know, it it was really good to watch because it did sort of feel like um it sort of felt like like one of the bullies of my childhood was was being confronted finally in a way i get because that because like 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 Abercrombie and Fitch i think actually really did do real and serious harm to young people in that time that grew up to be us 
and and it's yet we just talked about this in our horror in real life segment but like you know it gave us body dysmorphia it gave us reasons to hate ourselves it gave us reasons to be sad about being poor it gave us reasons to blah 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 it really did um and it, it that might sound trite but i think it's absolutely true and um i i think that that this this documentary at least was i don't really know who who's behind it in terms of like the individual makers but you know, it takes a little bit of courage to delve in and tell that story, I think. And, you know, one one thing about you, you said you didn't know it was, it was an old company. Um, one thing to mention there is that I, I remember distinctly a long time ago, my sister, Rebecca, she lived in Columbus, Ohio, then, um, which is where the, the where the whole thing started. Um, she bought my dad a sweater from the old Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, and interesting. I wish I still had it because it was actually it was a really beautiful sweater. I, I remember it. Um, but it was before Abercrombie became what it was like when it was like just like a sporting gentleman's store of like, you know, old American lore kind of was like the the, the ethos of it. Um, very, very different uh, compared to what it became. Yeah, it was fun to hear the LFO song again, though. I like. Oh, my song. God. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was, right. it was it was good, though. I, I would recommend it. What's your next one? Um, my next one. Um, I'll do. Uh, we'll do this one uh, movie. The worst person in the world. Um, out of Norway, um, it was uh, a big darling of of uh, of the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it was it was big old you know whatever at the Oscars before you know a slap happened, um, and it's it's a it's a good movie. Um, I recommend it. It is the story of uh, of a woman um, who is sort of in and out of love, sort of in and out of figuring out her life and what what she wants to do, and this is the story of just her figuring that out a little bit. And um, it takes place in Norway, mostly in, in Oslo. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's it's in Norwegian, so you will have um, you will have subtitles. It's a really beautiful movie. Um, there's there's a lot of really beautiful sequences that that are in it. Um, it does tell a really compelling story. I I think for you know people that are are are, are of are my generation and maybe the generation below me as well. Um, it was it was pretty. Um, I expected to be more emotionally, um, Connected. affected by it, affected by it at the end. So I was actually sort of surprised that I wasn't, but I think that that actually, you know, on, on, in, in retrospect, that might be the goal of the movie. Um, so I won't tell you the ending of course, but I think if, if, when you watch it, remember what I'm saying. And I wonder if, if you might feel the same way, cause I think that that might be one of the goals of it in the end. Hmm, interesting. I remember <clears throat> I remember seeing this when it was on the Oscars, but I didn't look yeah. too much into it. Um, I'll have to look it up. Sure. Um, my next one is a leftover uh, uh, leftover uh, pandemic watch that we just never got around to because they tried to release it in theaters <laughs> and it didn't do well. Uh, but this is the last, hopefully, final. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, in the in the Purge series, the Forever Purge. Oh my God. Just <laughs> um. So, we, somebody just purged this series already, for God's sake. We, Jesus. We covered, we covered, I forget which Purge movie, the first Purge, I think. I think um, I think so, yeah. In an episode a long time ago, but we haven't really touched this franchise too much. Um, I What I will say about this, so the Forever Purge is essentially, um, <clears throat> they have brought the Purge back after a hiatus. I think in the last movie, we they kind of got rid of it. Now they've brought it back because the the founding fathers have been put into back into power. And um, this is the first year that it's back, but uh, when the the rules say that you know you get your 
12 hours or whatever of purging and then you're done. There is a new group in America um, that says, we don't want to be done. And they just keep purging after the purge. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And um, essentially what it is, is it's a uh, one very rich family in Texas. Um, and all of their uh, employees go like against them essentially and hold them hostage. And then it is all about them trying to get to the border because now that America has erupted into the purge, uh, the Canadian and Mexico border are open for the next 12 hours and then they will be closed uh, and America will be forced to deal with whatever they need to do to get it under control. And they're trying to get to Mexico. Um, I, what I will say, it's a purge movie, so you, you kind of know what you're getting into. What I, what I will say, this is probably the most star-studded cast I've seen in a purge movie. It had Josh mm. Holloway in it. Um, it, it had actually a pretty decent cast of people that you're actually like, oh, I, I recognize that person. <laughs> um, and what I will say is this is the pro- probably the best looking Purge movie there has been um, okay. as far as like uh, production quality. It just looked really good. Um, is the story kind of ridiculous? Of course, it's a Purge movie, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's on HBO Max. You can watch it for free if you have a subscription. It's not It's not a waste of time um, if you do like kind of this like uh, Purge motif. It does play with some of the um, stuff that's been going on in America as far as deport- uh, deportations and kind of uh, immigration. Um, and it kind of flips it on its head. Is it? Is it any? Is it like the smartest movie in the world? Absolutely not. But I still had fun watching it. The Forever Purge on HBO Max. Cool. I saw The Northman at Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin. I've been um, seeing everyone either freak out about this movie or piss all over it. It's like one of those divisive yeah, look, movies. Look, I, I've, I have news. I have, I have literally zero time for people who want to piss on it because it's a great movie. Um, and if you look, if, if you're pissing on the Northmen, um, what the fuck have you done lately? That's the question that I would ask you because what Robert Eggers did was create something really fucking big and fucking cool, man. Um, it's, it's a, it's a long movie that, that is one thing about it. I mean, there's a lot of story to tell, um, but it's an incredible saga. Um, it comes from the Icelandic sagas, um, and it's fucking awesome like it's it's a really cool movie alexander skarsgård is wonderful um and if you've ever thought to yourself boy i would love to see alexander skarsgård fight someone naked in a volcano um (laughs) boy do i have a movie for you it's called the northman by robert eggers um anya taylor joy is fucking fantastic like i i she can do no wrong in my opinion she is so incredibly versatile it's amazing um nicole kidman is great in this movie in a role. I didn't that even is, know she was in this. <laughs> oh, she, this is something so different for her. And she, she killed it. She truly, truly killed it. Um, Ethan Hawke is in the movie. Also fucking amazing. Um, it's, it's the story of, 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 uh, a boy called, uh, Amleth it might sound like Hamlet, right? Yeah. Cause it basically is the story of Hamlet, but set in, you know, old Viking times. Um, and, uh, his, his uncle Fjolnir, um, kills his father who is the king and, uh, Amleth needs to run away, um, to like go grow up and then come back and avenge his father. So in the, in the commercials you've seen, I will avenge you father. I will save you mother. I will kill you Fjolnir. Um, he just says that over and over and over again as he grows up to like get himself ready to do it. And then finally it's time for him to go fucking kick some ass, which he does. Um, it's a beautiful movie. The effects are incredible. Um, the way that Robert Eggers tells a story is just, it's, it's uniquely Robert Eggers. You know, if you've seen the witch and you like the witch, 
you're going to fucking love this movie. If you've seen The Lighthouse and you love The Lighthouse, you will fucking love this movie. I thought it was great. Um, and I, I, I would recommend going to the cinema to see it if you can, because it's worth it to see it on that big, big screen. Cool. Uh, I think the only thing that annoyed me about this was there was like a weird press tour that Alexander Skarsgård was like, yeah, because I'm so handsome, it really limits my uh, my castability. And I was I like, mean, <laughs> he's not wrong for being honest about it. Oh, just annoying. Anyway, anyway, um, my third one is Russian Doll season two. It's finally back after a three year hiatus. So <laughs> weird. God, um, this was a show that came out right before the pandemic. And obviously, because of the pandemic, they couldn't film. Um, so it just took a really long time. I actually rewatched season one because the episodes are like 30 minutes. They're really easy to digest. So I wanted to just like remind myself uh, kind of what happened and go into season two. It comes from our friend of the pod, Natasha Leone. Um, Amy Poehler also has her hands in, in this show. In the first season, it was all about her dying and trying to figure out why she kept coming back to a certain point in her life. And then she would die and come back. Very happy death day, um, if, you, if you've seen that movie. The second season takes a little bit of a different turn. Um, she finds her and her compatriots find themselves... Um, being transported um, to uh, they're basically in their parents' bodies when they're younger. Um, and it just helps explain why the way her mother was the way she was and kind of it gives her a little bit more of an understanding of her family and the dynamics. And it ultimately is about her trying to fix her family. Um, I'm not going to tell you what happens beyond that because it's a great show. If you're not watching Russian Doll, you know, before you cancel your Netflix subscription, at least watch Russian Doll because we all know Natasha Leone is a, a blessed bee witch uh, that we love on this show. Um, and she does a great job and it's great to see her acting again. So uh, give Netflix and Russian Doll season two your attention. My final pick is one that I am very excited to talk about. It's called Heartstopper on Netflix. <clears throat> Heartstopper is one of the best things I have seen in so, so long. Um, it is the story uh, that comes from a graphic novel series by Alice Oseman. Um, it's a story of two boys, two high school boys, Charlie and Nick, who meet at Truham Boys School in England, um, and they fall in love. That's it. Like I'm, I'm spoiling it for you, but you know what happens. They literally fall in love. And it is told in such a pure and lovely and beautiful way um, that it will stop your heart when you watch it. I think um, it's 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 gorgeous. The, the the show is so well done. All of the the uh, the young actors that that are in the show, plus Olivia fucking Coleman who is in it, um, they're just fantastic. They know what they're doing. Um, whoever the director was, I can't remember their name right now, but just did a really great job of bringing the um, of bringing the graphic novel to life and putting in these little touches throughout that make it sort of just like a bit like magical realism when when you're when you're going through the show. Um, I binged all of this in a night. It was just it, I, I was crying, I was laughing, I was screaming at the television. Um, and I think the reason why is because um, the world that is created in, in Heartstopper is one that was so different from what you and I had, Andrew. Sure. Um, and this is a world where like people stick up for each other and where like the siblings are actually kind of nice and where like bullies get their comeuppance and where you can fall in love with 
um, I'm gonna start crying with whoever you want to fall in love with and like be who you want to be. And I've been thinking to myself, oh, I am going to cry. I've been thinking to myself since I watched it. I'm really not joking about this or being hyperbolic. I think about it like every day since I watched it. Um, if I had had the show when I was 15, I really think about how different my life could have been. I'm, I'm serious. This show is fucking that good. Um, because we didn't get to have that chance. But yeah. I'm just so glad that kids do now. It's so different. Um, so <laughs> look, before I start totally bawling, um, watch Heartstopper on Netflix because it is fucking beautiful. All right. Um, my last one, I mean, a last minute change because I watched it last night. Uh, we paid to watch the the new Ty West movie X. Um, I'm sure you've seen this advertised and kind of all over Twitter at this point, Maddie. I have indeed. Um, so X is all about a um, group of people that are, it's, it takes place in 1979 in, in Texas. And it is all about these people that are they're going to go rent a house um, from from uh, on a farm and they're going to make like a, a porn. They're going to make a amateur porn movie, very oh Debbie God. does Dallas, uh, something like that. And they think that they're going to get like rich off of this. Um, little do they know that there are some people on the property that maybe are, I don't want to give anything away, but they, um, they're going to take matters into their own hands and any way that they see fit. This movie was incredible. <laughs> it was so good. Um, it was so refreshing. Um, and I, it was like the perfect atmosphere. I think I wrote on Twitter last night. I was like, there was like a thunderstorm coming in. Um, it was nighttime. The windows were open. And we watched this really awesome, very stylized horror film uh, that just like right was hit me right in my sweet spot. And if I would have known um, kind of... Uh, maybe when we do porn is terrifying, we can we can cover this movie in, in more detail. But um, this is a great movie, and it fit with our our little you know sex is terrifying um, little episode so well that I had to put it in. Um, if you haven't seen X, um, you can only either go to the theater or rent it for that kind of like twenty dollar um, price, that, which I don't mind paying. Uh, if I'm being honest, if something really gets to me and I want to see it. I'll pay the $20 to watch it at home. I, I think that these kind of movies, they, they need money just as much as the Marvel movies do. So <laughs> I will gladly rent something that is made independent and, and kind of starring some really great people like Brittany Snow and um, that guy from The Ring <laughs> is in it. Um, so yeah, that's X. Uh, I highly recommend you, you give it a chance. Um, pay some money to watch it so that those filmmakers can keep making movies. So folks, uh, Andrew brought to the table White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch on Netflix, The Forever Purge on HBO Max, Russian Doll Season 2 on Netflix, and X. And Maddie brought us Heartstopper on Netflix, Outer Range on Amazon Prime, The Northman, which is currently in theaters, and The Worst Person in the World also being caught in theaters at the moment. So folks, that's another edition of What You've Been Watching, Bitch. Hang tight. We'll be right back with our first film of the episode, Antichrist. Feel the seat underneath you. Feel yourself sinking down into it. Enfolding you. It's a nice feeling. All you feel is a pleasant warmth and heaviness. Imagine you're at Eden. Imagine you arrived at Eden through the woods. What frightens you? 
he gives you too much medication. Dr. Wayne says you want me back home. Reality. You have to have the courage to stay in the situation that frightens you. She loves me. <laughs> I can't do this. The ground is burning. The ground is not burning. Nature is Satan's church. Do you know what you're saying? You shouldn't underestimate me. Welcome back. It's time to switch gears and talk about horror in the movies. We've got two sexy, sexy, well, I don't know. If there's, <laughs> there's sex, all right. I don't know how sexy it is, but. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be talking about two sex movies. Everybody uh, get ready. Uh, the first one we are talking about is Antichrist. Maddie, tell us all about this weird little movie. When nature turns evil true terror awaits. A grieving couple retreats to their cabin, Eden, in the woods, hoping to repair their broken hearts and their troubled marriage. But nature takes its course, and things go from bad to worse. Antichrist is directed and written by Lars von Trier, the one and only, produced by Zentropa Entertainments, distributed by IFC Films. There are three characters in this movie. He, played by Willem Dafoe, she, played by Charlotte Gainsbourg, and Nick, played by uh, the very young Storm Acheche Salstrom. Uh, this film was not rated, although it would certainly be rated X, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, it's 108 minutes long. It is from Denmark, which is also where Lars is from, uh, released on September 25th, uh, 2009, uh, filmed in various locations in North Rhine-Westphalia in Germany. Budget was $11 million. It grossed $7.4 million. It's not really a surprise. Um, Andrew, this was a first watch for both me and you. Um, yep. <laughs> tell, me what, tell me what you thought about it. Um, well, I will say, uh, I had no idea what we were going into apart from knowing that it was directed by Lars von Trier, which I always get mixed up with Gus Van Sant. So I didn't know what <laughs> I was going into. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I knew that this was going to be on a little more on the arts, like art side of things. Yeah, sure. What I was not expecting was, um, <clears throat> our only second ejaculation of the, of the, uh, series of our, of our podcast. We've only other had what, one other one and that was yeah. stranger by the lake um uh, so i was not expecting that um i will say i was very bored by the first half of this movie and then the second half was very entertaining so it's kind of a weird um him and haw for me on this one um it's very uh climactic there's a lot of stuff that happens it's very chaotic i think i put that in my um main takeaway is that I didn't know what to expect going in from scene to the next scene because the way that these two play off of each other, it it changes constantly throughout the movie. Yeah. So you don't really know what their dynamic is because at the beginning of the movie, there's more of a uh, therapist and patient. Um, and I, I think I put in in my notes, I said Antichrist or the tale of never date a therapist. Um, yeah. Because uh, he's constantly almost gaslighting her with all of these um, 
these kind of uh, ways to cope with her grief. And, um, you know, and we should say that this all stems from their their son falls out a window and, and dies very early on in the movie. And this is all of the repercussions from why, you know, how that happened, why it happened, what's going on with their relationship. So what I will say is I, 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 I was certainly never bored in the movie, um, but uh, overall, it felt a little too chaotic to the story that they were trying to tell. Um, but that's just my first impression. We can get into kind of like the things that I thought really worked, the things I thought didn't work as well um, going in. But what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 a really um, it's a really crazy movie. Uh, I, I I like Lars von Trier. Um, I I think you know he can be a, a bit of a weirdo, um, and he's definitely a weirdo in this. And, uh, I, I, from what I understand about, you know, where the movie came from, it's, it's, it's extremely personal. Um, and this is something that, um, he wrestles with in his own life. Uh, he's also, you know, kind of tight lipped about that stuff as well. So, you know, I don't know all of the, the things from his life that made this movie come to be, he doesn't really explain, um, you know, things, things like that. I know that, you know, this is a, a film that, that people, um, you know, People really, really hate when they hate it. Um, you know, there are other people, you know, for, for example, one person, the great friend of the pod, uh, film director John Waters hailed Antichrist as one of the 10 best films in 2009 in Art Forum. And he said that if Ingmar Bergman had committed suicide, gone to hell and come back to Earth to direct an exploitation art film for drive-ins, Antichrist is the movie he would have made. And what a statement from John Waters. Um, but, you know, there are plenty of film critics and other people out there who really despise this movie. Um, and, you know, look, with with reason, um, it is it is a very intense movie to watch. Within the first 45 seconds of the movie, you are seeing Willem Dafoe's real penis enter Charlotte Gainsbourg. Like, this is what's going on in the movie. They're having sex. While they're having sex, um, in, in a, might I also add that the first part of the movie is in black and white, and um, there is an opera going on behind it. You could that for for the for the for the score. Um, it's a, it's one of Handel's operas actually. Um, and while it's going on, their kid like gets out of his uh, whatever that's called crib or whatever. And he totters over to this window and he falls out the window. Can tell while, we know so much about babies. <laughs> I know, right? While he's while they're having sex. It's you know, it's a, it's a terrible thing. And it, that being said, that the that opening sequence is is marvelous. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. The way that it's done is the work of somebody who understands how to direct a film, who understands mise en scène and who understands um, the 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 beauty of lenses and the beauty of filters to make something that is really really gorgeous to look at and that is true. Um, the rest of the movie then goes into um, a, a, a series of chapters and an, and, an, and an epilogue. It begins with the prologue, which is the thing that I just mentioned. Um, there are four chapters to the film: grief, pain, despair, and the three beggars, and then a very short epilogue at the end. Um, you know, what you said, Andrew, chaos, um, there's literally a line in the movie that is said by none other than a talking fox. In well, the wood. Uh, it's the age old question. What does the fox say? Yeah. <laughs> apparently the fox says this chaos reigns, which is what happens there. And that's in the second chapter called pain, which is also, uh, has a subtitle chaos reigns. Um, you know, look, I, I think that the film is really interesting, um, I like big thinkers and I think this is a big thinking film. It left me really thinking about a lot of stuff. 
And it, you know, it didn't leave me with any sort of like big answers on anything. Um, but it did leave my brain tinkering a little bit. And I, I like that. I enjoy that. It's something that, that I really like. Um, the sex in this movie is brutal. Um, and it is in your face. Um, you know, there is plenty of masturbation. There is a whole lot of, uh, genital mutilation on, on, on the part of Charlotte Gainsbourg. Um, she literally cuts off her clitoris. Um, there is, uh, other genital mutilation in the violence that is, uh, done against, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, um, when she smashes his genitals <laughs> and when she, um, takes a drill and drills uh, a hole in his ankle and ties a rock to it. Um, when she jacks him off, yes, she jacks him off. Um, he ejaculates blood. Can I read um, you my? Can I read you my notes from from this point in the yeah, movie? Yeah, go right on? ahead, please. <laughs> this is this is literally my notes as this is going on. Hits him in the penis with a log. Blood come. I don't want to watch this anymore. Bolted yeah. his leg down. Crow bol- crow buried in the fox den. Yeah. Telling on him. Fox den collapses, but still alive. He seems very calm about this leg situation. The crying woman is a scheming woman. She. <laughs> and then I just wrote scissors, vagina. I'm done. <laughs> That's yeah. Like, yeah, really intense stuff. Um, it explores themes of witchcraft, and it explores um, explores evil in in women, and and that's the part that is kind of weird about it. it. And it doesn't it doesn't make a doesn't whole lot fully of sense. Yeah, but but I mean, even Lars von Trier has said that like this is not one of his best films. And and I, I in, in in an interview that I watched, that's also because if you need to find a place to watch the movie, it's on it's on Criterion Channel. It's streaming there, which you can get a free week if you don't want to pay for it. Um, and we don't get anything off of that, by the way. That wasn't a commercial. Um, but there, in, in, along with the the film itself, there's a number of documentaries on there that you can watch about about you know the production and and its time at Cannes Film Festival. Um, I think that I remember him saying that he he looks at this film and he thinks that he was only at 40% capacity of like what he could have done with it. And <laughs> he was he was going through some health issues then. Um, one of the things that this movie is about with in terms of, of, of being something personal for him that I do know is that he suffers from from panic attacks. And that um, a, the, the explorations of anxiety in this movie were a bit of 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 what that was coming from. Um, you know, I know Lars von Trier when he goes into making a movie, he goes just full in. Um, you know, he, he's had a mental breakdown before. Like, you know, there there are some some great. Um, there's this one article uh, from from the Guardian from 2009, so it's from quite a long time ago. And it's it, the title is Antichrist, a work of genius or the sickest film in the history of cinema. And it's, <laughs> it's a number of um, a number of different women uh, scholars and, and filmmakers and artists uh, who, who have different things to say about it. Um, and uh, it goes from things like this. This is from Jillian Waring, where she says, this is the only film I have seen that clearly seems directed by someone with mental health issues. And I don't say that in a negative way. I think it is genius. To uh, uh, Julie Bindel, who is a journalist and an activist, who says, watching this film was like having bad sex with someone you loathe, a hideous combination of sheer boredom and disgust. I hated it, and I hate the director for making it. So Von Trier was depressed a while back, had nightmares, and decided to write the script of this atrocity as a form of therapy. Couldn't he have kept it to himself? Um, to other people like Joanna Bork, who is a professor of history at Birkbeck College, um, 
And she says, where is it? Uh, Lars von Trier's new film opens with the heartbreaking lyrics of loss and longing from Handel's Rinaldo opera. The graceful yet ecstatic beauty of death, literal and symbolic, sets the tone. Black and white scenes in which the camera moves with a dreamlike slowness, followed by dazzlingly dyed scenes of claustrophobic carnage. The effect is breathtaking and compulsive, like a drug. I would have watched the film a second time if it had been possible. So, you know, it just kind of shows you sort of just like the breadth of the way that people think about the movie. Um, and I think, you know, somewhere in the midst of that is where I am. You know, I don't love the movie, um, but I, but I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy this movie. <laughs> like, cause there's so many things to not enjoy about it. It is, it's so hard to watch. Um, but there's something about it that lingers with you. And I think maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. And spe- I mean, and I literally had moments where not just because of the subject matter, but the first half of this movie, they essentially live in their bed for like yeah, sure. 30 minutes of the movie. And it's so dark and they're talking so quietly that it was hard for me to like get into it. Cause I was like, I had to turn it way up and then turn it yeah, way down. No, I'm, I'm glad you said this because let's talk about this. It was the same experience for me. The The movie is way too quiet in that yes. first half. Like you, you literally, I had to turn my TV like up to like 40 and usually I have it on like 15. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I totally. And it was really dark. So it's hard to see. Um, and it played out like a little bit like a, like a play in that moment where I could see this as being like a stage show for that, that portion of the, of the movie. Um, but it was, it was that, that just had me, it, it didn't quite get its, uh, you know, nails into me, if you will, um, until kind of the crescendo of the movie where she kind of bolts his leg down and chaos is happening all over that. I was like, Whoa, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Like, this is, this is insane. Um, but there's, and I think that why another thing that threw me off is there are a lot of different um, uh, styles of filmmaking here. And I mean that by the camera work that's done. So like you said, we had the epilogue, which is very dreamlike, very slow. And it's, you know, the and prologue, we get, the prologue. Yeah, the, yeah. And the, then it goes into very like shaky cam, almost found footage, like kind of work, like with sure. the camera that I was like, wow, I really do not miss wobbly cam because that was definitely of a time in filmmaking. Um, mostly I noticed sure. it when they were yeah. kind of like hiking through the woods and like, it just made me a little bit motion sick. Um, and then there's also like the parts where he like kind of puts her into a trance like mode where it's very dreamlike and everything moves really slow. And I thought that that was really beautiful. Um, it just, it kept switching um, so that I, I couldn't fully grasp what was going on because if you look at the thir- the first three quarters of this movie, it really is a story about a couple that is grieving. He thinks that he knows what's best for her, even if that's not maybe what's best for her and kind of gaslighting her and sure, her kind right. of uh, lashing out against him in her grief and everything. And then at the, the the last part of this movie, it just goes fucking apeshit and she becomes just insane. She, she, um, she, she becomes the witch. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I not going to say I hated this movie and I did think I was going to hate it going into it. It's just not my favorite movie, if I'm being honest, um, just because I needed a little bit more on why these people were even together because they seem to hate each other from the get go. I mean, even when they are talking about when their son was alive, 
um, she says, well, you didn't come up here with us for the summer. So I guess you missed the last summer of his life. Congratulations. And I was just like, yeah. Jesus Christ, people like it, it never they never felt like a, that they ever were a happy couple. So that was harder for me to like get behind them. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I, I And I think that might actually be that's that's kind of part of it. I mean. Uh, I think that the the, the chaos uh, the chaos was was always going to reign, you know. Like there there was no rationalizing what their relationship was. Um, it was always going to be something that would end up being chaotic. Um, and you can't have a child and expect that to be the 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 cure for for the chaos that lives within within your own relationship because it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I don't think that the film gives you a lot of answers. And you know, look, I I just don't believe that every film should. I, I don't think that that filmmakers owe you any kind of answer. Um, I think that it's it's up to you to to think about you know what's been shown to you. You are you are the guest of the filmmaker, um, and you know not not the other way around. Um, and that's that's actually a little bit von uh, uh, von Trierzian, I would say what I just said there. So look, it's it's a it's a crazy movie. Um, if you've not seen it before, you know, look, I recommend I recommend seeing it so you can see what you know what the fuss is about. Um, just know that it is, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I did think it was funny at the end when he is finally like crawling away <laughs> yeah. from all of this. Uh, and he's like lit her on fire essentially. And, um, he's, he's finally like eating some blackberries. And then all of yeah. a sudden I realized that they haven't eaten this entire movie. And I was like, what have they oh, been doing this whole time? <laughs> good observation. I didn't even think about that. Um, and also, um, I thought the idea of the acorns that would have driven yeah. me insane. Oh yeah. I could totally. never sleep in that house. Um, listeners, if you haven't seen the movie, there is a portion of the movie where they're at a cabin in the woods, essentially in Eden, which they, they call their, their, their cabin, um, in the woods that it's in. And there is a, an oak tree that over, you know, what it overhangs it, I guess that would be the right word. Yeah, sure. And it constantly is shedding uh, acorns and they're hitting their metal roof and it just wakes them up at all hours of the night. And I was like, this is not for me. No, it's insane. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, um, I thought it was funny that they, uh, they, they essentially have to hike. It looks like a pretty long ways to get up to this cabin, yeah. which made me think, how did they get this cabin built in the yeah, first place? <laughs> but, now, look, w- one thing that I think we should talk about is, is the quality of, of the actors. The, we, you can think of whatever you want about the movie. Um, but it's, it's sort of no denying that like Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg were, were really fucking good with what they had to do. And they have, I mean, to they had to be, I mean, for this to, to, to work at all, they had to be fully committed to it, fully committed, fully in their bodies. I mean, this is, you know, when, when I think about good actors and what makes them good, it's people who are fully alive in their bodies, ready to you know, be in this artificial world and make it real. And that's what they did. There was never a moment where you don't believe either of them truly like you don't, you, you, you don't have that moment. I mean, um, so I, I, I you know, I, I do think that the movie is polarizing, but those two were incredible. Yeah, yeah, I can. I, I don't know if you noticed, but in the uh, credits, there was actually a research department. There was, um, yeah. yeah. It was like research on misogyny, research on witchcraft, research yeah. on horror movies. Like it was. Yeah, there, there's 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 a little um, there's a little vignette on uh, on Criterion about that. Actually, um, they did they did a lot of research on like like looking for images of like women, um, like like from like the 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 Malleus uh, Maleficarum and like the old 
things about witches and like that kind of shit looking for like images and information on like why people thought women were evil back then to like put it into the movie um you know so some some interesting stuff there yeah so maddie why don't you give us your main takeaway and your score out of seven stripes because here at friday the 13th we we judge movies on a seven stripe scale for the seven stripes of the gay old rainbow uh i give it a five and a half and um i did that mostly because of the acting um and i said uh it's an incredible film sometimes wavers in its mission of exploring grief and sexuality it's beautiful it's insane and it's undeniably lars von trier I gave this movie a four. I said, um, is there more to this movie that's on, that it is on the surface? I'm sure. But overall, it felt very chaotic. And I couldn't get behind either character or their motivations. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a difference on us, but we still both came in above average. So yeah. no, uh, it, that's, uh, that's Antichrist. Uh, get ready for something very different in our next film <laughs> called Species. So we'll be right back after a break. In January, a message from an extraterrestrial source was picked up at the Parks Observatory in Australia. A new sequence of DNA, friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. This growth is amazing. The decision was made to terminate the experiment. He's breaking out! She escaped. We have a serious emergency on our hands. I want a team to track her. Hunt her down. You created a monster, now you want us to kill it. We decided to make it female so that it would be more docile and controllable. More docile and controllable. I guess you guys don't get out much. She wants to have a baby. She'll kill anyone that gets in her way. I wouldn't hurt you. Yes, you would. I just don't know it yet. She can have a dozen babies. She can lay a thousand eggs. Something's wrong. Well, you know what? I'll tell you a film that Lars von Trier did not direct, and it's called Species. Um, and Andrew, tell us all about it. Our time is up. In 1993, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligent Project receives a transmission detailing an alien DNA structure, along with instructions on how to splice it in with human DNA. The result is Syl, a sensual but deadly creature who can only, who can change from a beautiful woman to an armor-plated killing machine in the blink of an eye. Directed by Roger Donaldson, written by Dennis Feldman. The production company was MGM. Xavier is played by none other than Ben Kingsley. Um, you're going to hear a lot of names that you know in this cast. Oh, yeah. It's kind of incredible. <laughs> um, Preston is played by Michael Madsen. Dr. Arden is played by Alfred Molina. Dan is played by Forrest Whitaker. Dr. Baker is played by Marge Helgenberger. Sill is played by or introducing Natasha Henstridge, uh, if you notice that in the credits. Um, and young Sill is played by Michelle Williams, which I completely forgot. Yeah. Um, rated R. This was released on July 7th of 1995. It comes in at the exact same time as our other movie, 108 minutes, which was so weird. Um, 
It was made in the U.S., mostly locations around Los Angeles, uh, Puerto Rico, and Utah. And the budget was $35 million. This was a blockbuster in the 90s, making $113 million at the box office. Species, Maddie, I'm assuming you've seen this movie before, but probably oh, yeah. haven't watched it in 20 years. Tell oh, me I have, about I your experience. <laughs> I haven't watched it in four fucking ever. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, like, look... Um, I, I watched Antichrist first and uh and then I watched Species. You <laughs> I mean, like, there, you know, and you sat there and you're like, wow, what a beautiful art film. And then you yeah, found species. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's I, look, it, motherfucker, it's species. You know what I mean? It's um it's it's uh it's wild. Um, you know, look, species has plenty of fun to it. It's a it's a big crazy little horror movie, um, you know, from 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 the early nineties. Um, the, the cast is incredible. Like, I mean, the cast is out of this world. Ben Kingsley, Michael Madsen, Alfred Molina, Forrest Whitaker. Like, are you kidding me? Like, these are, these are big names. Um, and to have them all in one weird movie about a sexy alien is kind of crazy, right? Uh, I did um, think it was funny that they try to make Michael Madsen like a sexual, um, like, I don't know, yeah. like, oh well, gosh. But, but Michael Madsen was sort of the proto uh, Vince Vaughn, if you think about it. And so like he has a lot of the same like, kind of sort of like sexy qualities. I, I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm not attracted to him. I guess. <laughs> I would imagine that like, you know, that's, hey, look, there's a certain woman who's into that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so look, this movie is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The, the storyline is crazy. Um, the the um, the acting is uh, you know uh, it's it's some acting, and the script is is also ridiculous. It, and this movie is full of cheesy cheesy lines. Um, I, I kind of was there for it though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it was it was it was it was a a healthy laugh to have after um, after watching Antichrist. When Natasha um, Henstrich goes up to the guy in the hotel and goes, "Where's a good place to find a man?" I burst right. out laughing. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so you know, look, there, there's plenty of room to have fun with this, and you know, now you know, over over 20 years on from this, what is it, 27 years old? Is that it? Really? Something. My God, that's crazy. But yeah, over 27 years later, almost 30 years later after this is made um it's it's interesting to kind of look back at this um with some nostalgia um you, you know it's it, it, it has the feeling of of a 90s horror movie the way that the music is done the way that the the way that the cameras work the the filters that were used um it, it kind of reminded me of like going to the theater back then and what that kind of felt like you know um and, you know, look, there, there are also some good jump moments, um, you know, like the part where uh, she's in the cocoon, the chrysalis, and she, you know, grabs the the um, the train ticket attendant, taker, yeah, the ticket taker, whatever. Um, you know, yeah, there's there's stuff like that that kind of gets you going. Um, God, wo- woe to all the men that she fucked in this movie um, right. or, or tried to fuck, um, especially Alfred Molina. Like, you know, you just you never think that Alfred Molina is going to be the one to uh, to get the girl. You know what I mean? Um, that's not exactly how I would ever think it. But, you know, in this movie, that is what happens. Um, and in the end, you know what? Let's let's have a sequel, because guess what? A rat ate the tail. Mm-hmm. Well, I will tell you that there are four species movies. Um, have you seen uh, there's them all? I've seen Species 2 for sure, because I remember there's like a sexy male alien yeah, I, I in see, that I, one. I know that I saw Species 2. I don't remember one lick of it, though. I don't remember anything about it. 
all I remember is that an astronaut comes back from Mars and he has alien in him. And then <laughs> they have to grow Natasha Henstrich again to like fight him, like essentially. <laughs> um, you know what? Of course they do. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Makes sense. So we should say that this was a backup choice for us. Um, I want to highlight that for a moment just because I was really excited for you to watch Cherry Falls. And yeah. Shudder shit the bed on this one. Um, yeah. I looked back. On, it, was, it was supposed to be on there. I looked back and it premiered over Valentine's Day on Shudder. And it was approximately on Shudder for about a month and a half. And then they pulled it off. And I don't know why. And it, I, I don't pretend to understand how mm-hmm. contracts work or like whatever. But I've never seen a streaming surface have something so big go into and then completely just shut it off uh, after like a month, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, to me. But, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really weird. And once again, folks, we just talked about this in our last episode, Andrew. It's our curse. Yeah, totally. But anyway, um, Cherry Falls will get to, I'm sure, at some point. But um, <laughs> essentially, the, the, the reason I was going to choose that is because it's a slasher movie where he kills only virgins. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, But Species, uh, I remember seeing this movie. I remember being really uncomfortable watching this movie because it does have so many like uh, sexy moments, especially with yeah. Natasha Henstridge. Um, I remember that this won Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards in 1995 mm-hmm. because of the kiss where she tongues him through the head, which I think yeah. is kind of incredible for for the time. Um, I, I, I did not remember how violent this movie is because there are many deaths that are very gruesome. Like I, I named the violent. girl. Yeah, I named the of the girl that's in the club that kind of takes her uh, perspective man away and she kind of just like reaches through the back of the wall and tears her spine out, which I was like, whoa, yeah. I did not remember that. Um, I, I was... This, like you said, though, this cast, I did not remember this cast being so stacked with the yeah, people of the mid 90s. <laughs> like, My God almighty. It's 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 crazy how many people were in this. Um, I, I noticed that they're still using the uh, magical black man trope in this movie of course. Uh, because uh, Forrest Whitaker plays an empath. Uh, what that means for his character, I don't fully understand Girl. because at some at some points he has like a uh, full understanding of what's going on. And at some points he has no idea what's going on. Like, so I'm just literally, like, literally, it, it's it's the it's the goofiest character that I one of the goofiest I've ever fucking seen. I mean, number one, like it's it's bringing together a hodgepodge of like weirdos to figure like to go hunt down a, an alien that like essentially cannot be stopped yeah it's an empath a bounty <laughs> hunter a biologist and a scientist <laughs> yeah like i mean who actually who did write this dennis feldman dennis feldman what the fuck is wrong with you you weirdo like this that's some weird ass shit who brings together these people like that you know what i mean <laughs> and the empath i mean forrest whitaker god bless him he honestly, no one else could have played this role, but Forrest Whitaker, quite <laughs> frankly, he's the only one that could have played it. He's out there spouting off some shit wherever he goes. He's like, mm, something bad happened here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, really? a dead body on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, that, 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 that's the best one. So when they're on the train, right, and the chrysalis is literally right there and there's a dead body on the ground. He says, something bad happened here. Oh, no shit, Sherlock. Really? <laughs> Can't, I cannot believe that you you were able to empath your way into thinking that something bad happened on that train. Wow. Um, I thought it was funny that when they were talking about uh, Syl, um, when they they made the DNA female because they said that females were more docile and controllable. And I was like, right. oof, this and then, is a and then, mid-90s movie. And then Mark, Mark Helgenberger has, has the side eye right there. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and of course, it couldn't be a 90s movie without some sort of love interest. So uh, Michael Madsen and Marge Helgenberger kind of fall in love throughout the movie. Um, this... <clears throat> And the reason I brought this up when we were thinking about sex is terrifying is because I remember this movie being very taboo back in the mid 90s where like people are like, whoa, this is an oddly sexy like blockbuster because this was a huge blockbuster at the time. But there's like even like a blowjob scene where Marge Helgenberger gets down on her knees to give Michael Madsen a blowjob. And I was like, yeah, whoa. right. <laughs> which is pretty pretty rare for the mid 90s unless you're watching like um i don't know what was that pamela anderson movie um i can't think of it right now um and, or like bound or like yeah, there were sure. definitely like nine and a half weeks like there were those kind of movies but this at this level you didn't see this kind of movie uh have a what 75 million dollar budget or whatever <clears throat> that would go wide in theaters that probably families went to go see. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it was kind of like the blockbuster of the moment. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, when she set out on her own and she becomes a fully formed woman um, from being Michelle Williams to being Natasha Henstrich, uh, that uh, she's instantly drawn to wedding dresses. Um, I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then she it wants to go find a male uh, to mate with because she... No, I'm ready for a baby yeah <laughs> what does she doesn't she say that to somebody they're like whoa wait a minute <laughs> he says it to the to the guy that she um um that she puts um uh her in the hot tub right in the hot tub yeah the hot tub guy which hello mid-90s floppy hair guy of course i had a crush on him <laughs> oh my god now I'll, I'll tell you this you know i i'm i'm uh i'm a pro member on letterbox which i i quite like letterbox if if you're not on it you should be and you should give us your username so that we can uh, be friends um but there's there's really good reviews on letterbox so that, that's one of the reasons why i like it because there's you know there's good thinking people that go on there and write some some good reviews um there's this review that i want to read you because i think this is actually really good and gives you um gives you a bit of a different perspective on the movie um so i'm going to read it to you okay um this is from uh Nath- Nath, uh, it's N-A-T-H-A-X-N-N-E. There you go. I mean, they're on hiatus right now. They gave it two and a half stars, but they said this. Being a woman in the 21st century is extremely difficult, but apparently pales in comparison with being a woman in the 90s, when unless you were willing to be the cool girl and let a bunch of dudes order you around on a search and destroy mission to cock block and murder another woman, no matter what your academic specialty that will soon be forgotten, and you will be crawling around in a sewer with a flamethrower and making out with Michael Madsen over drinks, as he implies that only government-sponsored killers have natural authority in any given situation, and you are totally okay with that. Being a woman in the 90s means that even if you are trying to do what everyone is asking of you and you didn't even want to exist, but here you are, but because your DNA sequencing isn't like that of other women, and when you hit puberty, you have weird urges and your body freaks out and spouts all kind of protuberances and you lash out at adults and you just want to be left alone to watch TV and shop for pretty dresses <laughs> and dream about having a boyfriend and think about maybe being a mother, but you can't do any of those things because the people who created you, a.k.a. your parents, consider you a dangerous abomination and have sent Michael Madsen and a bunch of experts on you who have never even spoken to you to kill you after you have failed, after having failed at doing the jobs themselves. That really sucks bad. And I am sorry, Sill. Heart, heart, heart. <laughs> <laughs> 
that a great review? It is. It's like a love letter to uh, to Sill, which I, yeah. I appreciate. But it, it does kind of make you think, like, you know, a little bit deeper about the film. You know, there is a little bit more behind that. It, it sort, of, sort of gave me a different perspective on it. That's all. Yeah. I mean, really, I... I don't know. Is Species a feminist movie? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> but, maybe uh, a little bit. Um, I thought it was funny. I was like, I put in my notes. I was like, she's very good at stealing cars because she just keeps stealing everybody's car right out from under them and never gets arrested for it. Um, I did appreciate that when they show her driving the first BMW that it's all banged up because she obviously doesn't know how to drive. So she's been like hitting other cars and stuff. And, it, and it's honestly hilarious. I mean, she, I, honestly, she's good at everything that she does. She just like goes up and does it she just like she she's a visual learner once she sees somebody do it she can do it right right um i thought it was funny that they uh make a play on long island iced teas with forrest whitaker's character where he's like oh i like these teas and i'm like this is so 90s i love these cups of tea Uh, oh my god um what i what i will say is i think the movie is very entertaining up until they go into the sewer um I thought that Ben Kingsley, who's like the main baddie of the movie, goes down way too easy um, and kind of just like is waved off of the movie is kind of just like, okay, you know, Andrew, uh, I thought about Ben Kingsley because he's one of my favorite actors. I think he's, you know, really marvelous. Um, I want you to consider this. This movie was made in 95. Um, Just two years earlier, he was uh, playing Itzhak Stern in Schindler's List. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so just imagine, just imagine that in your career, you go from Schindler's List to Species <laughs> in two <laughs> years. Um, could not be more different, but hey, you know, maybe that just shows how versatile he really is. Right. Um, when I, I, I think this movie, when it does practical effects, it looks really good. When it yeah, does CGI agree. effects, it looks really bad. They're, <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're, they're not good. But, you know, once again, it's the 90s. It probably it probably looked cool in the theater back then. I just didn't understand why they just didn't. If they were going to do some practical effects, why not just stick with the practical? They had a a, a body suit made of Sill that they could have used in the third act. But instead, they chose to do CGI, which I thought was maybe just I, a, of I, an well, era. Well, I'm, I'm going to guess it was just came out of money in the end. And, um, yeah. you know, I do know one of the little trivia things in here is uh, during the production, MGM opted not to shoot the nightmare train sequence to keep costs down. Right. Because it doesn't make any sense. Right. But H.R. Geiger was not willing to accept that. So he spent one hundred thousand dollars of his own money to finance the sequence. So, you know, look, I, I we, we got to look at that cast once again. Right. The budget was thirty five million. You've got Ben Kingsley who had just won an Oscar for playing Itzhak Stern in Schindler's List. He ain't going to come cheap to you. You know what I mean? Alfred Molina at that time, also probably not going to be cheap. Michael Madsen, probably not too cheap because he was in a lot of Tarantino. Of the um, time, yeah. Of the time. So, I mean, like you've, you've got cast that you're paying a lot of money for. You're already paying for some effects. I mean, that thing is going to balloon real quick. I'm going to guess that maybe they did plan for practical but in the end, the studio was like, look, that's not going to happen. Nice to scrap it. Yeah. But you're going to do CGI shit and you're going to like it. Um, yeah. I mean, what is there to say about species? It's it's of a time. Um, I think that it fits our, our, our episode premise pretty well because oh, yeah. it's all about her trying to have sex with anybody she can unless they're diabetic Make a baby. of course but <laughs> um I, I i think the end goes on for a little bit longer than it needs to once they kind I of totally get totally agree with you like just, just the, be done 
Yeah, and I think they have a... So there's two things. I think there's a really big missed opportunity with Michael Madsen's hero moment where he just says, let go, you motherfucker. And I'm I like, know. wouldn't you want to say like get away from her you bitch or something you know, like know. something more iconic I know. Um, and then the other thing is they keep talking about this earthquake that happened but like that's like oh when they go into the sewer there's like an oh, opening yeah. where they go into like the cave and they're like oh it must open when the earthquake happened there is no earthquake in this movie right? yeah i know i didn't yeah. miss something no, right no, there's not they, they must have been talking about one of the la earthquakes that would have happened of the time so maybe the audience would have walked in with that in their heads already do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but they, if you're going to talk about it, you, you got to show it. Um, you know, talking about, about length going on too long, whatever. This is one of the only times in the shows, in the show's history in the history, if I get that, the history where both of the films that we're watching had the exact same runtime. I know it's kind of a weird yeah. thing. Both of them had 108 minutes. And so, you know, think about that, right? Like species should have, very easily been no more than 90 minutes like there's no reason for those extra however many minutes i can't do this math. movie should have been 20, 96 minutes. minutes exactly exactly right and so um you know whereas with like with with a film like antichrist you sort of expect that it will be a little bit longer because you know welcome to art house films um so that's a really interesting thing that um species and antichrist have the same runtime yeah. <laughs> and I will say with species, we don't even get like a ton of backstory. Like you get like right into it right at the beginning. It's oh, Michelle yeah. Williams breaking out of the facility and here we go. Like there's not really a lot. I will say that they do show um she a does sequence. That, she does that fucking flip out the thing. I know. <laughs> Motherfucker, I'm laughing my ass off. Motherfucker just go bursting out of motherfucking fishbowl. It was fucking... a little Michelle Williams doing a pocket dive. Oh my god. <laughs> absolutely crazy um i will say there is a sequence that they show on a monitor uh i just noticed this because it, it takes place on november 16th 1974 exactly 10 years before i was born <gasps> my birthday wild um and oh, are you saying know. that are you saying that you're you're one of them is that what, is that what you're trying I'm to say i'm saying here? that i could be a, a sex alien um, yeah i what did i what did i say to you when we were trying to decide what movie it was on i was like oh. all right alien erotic porn <laughs> like, yes yes exactly <laughs> um but, but yeah overall i had a ton of fun with with uh species i thought that it was funny that tentacles come out of her boobs at the end which yeah. was, <laughs> um and of course we get we get sequels beyond this um i might check out species too again sure. i don't know well andrew it, give us give us your rating on this film so I said that most of the time, this is just a fun romp with a cast. I don't think we would ever see the likes of today. Some dodgy CGI and overlong third act does bring it down just slightly. However, I gave this movie a 4.5. And I said, it's a big, silly movie that surprisingly works sometimes full of cheesy lines, ridiculous scenes and dot, dot, dot. Ben Kingsley. Imagine going from Schindler's List in 93 to Species, laugh out loud. Um, and my uh, score for the film was just slightly lower at four. So yeah, we both enjoyed Species. Um, I think that will do it. We'll take our final break and we'll be right back with our final game, which I have contrived for Maddie and it is called <laughs> Horror Ripoff or Horror Porn Parody. <laughs> Listeners, dear listeners, this brings episode 76 of Friday the 13th Horror to a close. But before we go, we always have a final game. And Andrew has prepared something called, uh, it's, it's a really it's a really uh, clippy title, Horror Ripoff or Horror Porn Parody. So <laughs> I don't know what the hell we're going to get into here, but Andrew, take it away. 
Okay, so I have a list of six movies. Three of them are horror ripoffs. So like, oh, think like I, I get it. Uh-huh. Like B movies based on other hor- sure. big, big horror movies, and three of them are poor porn parodies. Uh, i.e., The Hole. Yeah, that's <laughs> my favorite one of all time. <laughs> Which, if you don't know, The Hole is a porn parody of The Ring, uh, but it also is a horror movie. So we couldn't use it for this um, yeah. with uh, Kira Knightley. So <laughs> couldn't use that for this. But, but that's but kind some- of. Sometime we will talk about the whole. I can guarantee you, listeners, it's going to happen one day. All right. So, Maddie, on this first one, I have to leave out one word. So I'm going to put a blank just because it would give it away. Okay. Um, but you get, you'll get the idea. Okay. The first one, is this a horror ripoff or a horror porn parody? Three-headed blank attack. Horror ripoff. Yes. Do you want to guess what the blank is? What, what is it? Tell me. <laughs> Three-headed shark attack. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I remember seeing that. All right. The next one, Little Red Rotting Hood. That ro- Rotting Hood? Yep. Horror ripoff. That is a horror ripoff. Good job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one, The Hills Have Thighs. <laughs> That's a horror porn parody. Please be. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, thank God. <laughs> All right, and the next one, uh, the shaft. The shaft. Oh, uh, see that this one's tough. My gut tells me to say ripoff. It is a horror porn parody oh. of the craft. Oh no way! <laughs> the shaft. Oh god, I have to see that. All right, the next one, Camp Cuddly Pines Power Tool Massacre. Porn parody. That is a porn parody. Congratulations. And finally, the last one, Blood, oh, I'm sorry, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. Ripoff. That is a horror ripoff, the Japanese version of The Evil Dead. (laughs) Yeah, I just just kind of figured, like, with with a title like that, that would be way too on the nose. Yeah. (laughs) So that was horror porn parody or horror ripoff. You only got one wrong. So you did pretty good. That's not too bad for me. Thank you for the game. And yeah. can you believe that's our 76th episode come to a close? We always have some housekeeping here to take care of. Um, just first and foremost, we are a member of Dread Podcast Network. So do be sure to go check out the rest of the great shows on Dread Podcast Network and go over to dreadcentral.com to see some of the great things that Mary Beth McAndrews and, uh, and Josh Corngit are doing um, as the, the new folks at the helm of Dread Central. They've really made some, some really cool changes, and I, I think you're going to like it. Do you want to get a hold of us? Did you know we could call us at any time, night, or day, 24 hours? Oh, yes. It's the Fry Gay Hotline, 872-208-3119. Leave us a little message. Encourage us to keep going. Encourage us to keep making these silly little episodes. Um, that number, again, is 872-208-3119. And hey, if you want to support Fry Gay the 13th, we are an independent podcast. Um, you know, look, we do get a little money from Dread. That's a nice little thing. But hey, um, it's out of done. And we would love to always make the show even better why not right so if you want to be a part of what helps shows like ours become even bigger and better you can help us by becoming a patron on patreon and you can do that and you can also go buy merch as well by going to frygay13.com slash support so frygay13.com slash support and finally, and probably the most important, if you are listening on any uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Good Pods, any of these uh, various uh, listening devices, make sure to tap. No, go ahead and smash that five smash. star 
review Smash as, it, baby. As, as, the, as the youtubers say um go on over there and if you would like you can just give us a little rating of five stars or you can um leave us a little message there that we will likely put on social media and yeah. blast you for because we love hearing from our listeners and especially getting those little pieces of gratifying um pieces of it you know like encouragement so yeah, if you it's like wonderful. what we're doing please go ahead and leave us a review and finally as always at the end of every episode we encourage you to get slayed Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.